Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about guards! Nathan, what is a guard and why do they matter? <laughs> A guard is a guy with a gun. I mean, no sword. Maybe a hand crossbow. Guards Yeah, hand crossbow. Two hand crossbows. No, I mean, maybe. So, in a world of powerful adventurers, how the fuck do you maintain the peace? Guards. However, there is an interesting thought experiment, let's call it, of how. How do guards exist in such a world as anything more than mooks to be slaughtered by evil adventurers, which is most of them. Like, even allegedly good parties are rarely kind to guards, which is interesting something. I don't even know what <laughs> Ima- to call no, that. Like, I'm thinking, like, guards as, you know, the security guy at just, like, some, like, fucking place, and he's like, I'm just doing my job. And then, and then you, like, walk in. Oh look, that's a guy. He 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 has stats. We can kill him, <laughs> and then he just gets gets his ass beat and 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 killed, murdered. In fact, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like we've talked in the past about you know criminal justice in D anD D and some forms that that can take, but the humble guard really does deserve its own focus because it is a kind of oddity that we have transcribed our modern sensibilities into D anD D of yeah of course like there's gonna be guards and then there's a guard station and a guard cat like if you just replace the word guard with police that's how a large majority of dms treat it but why <laughs> there's there's no reason that it should be that way particularly i mean most places in the world like can have different systems and yet i don't know that i've ever seen any kind of world without guards mm. but what makes it even stranger is most just use the guard, like capital T, the. Like, the guard, as described, is not a strong individual. Like, they have ever so slightly higher than, you know, baseline stats. And yeah, they have, you know, a chain shirt and a shield to give them a decent AC of 16, 11 hit points, and a spear. That's really not a lot. So... If you think about most D&D worlds, especially the higher magic ones, once you have a party of adventurers that are, let's just say, fifth level and higher, guards are fucked. Fifth level adventurers might have a magic user that can cast Fireball. Fireball can do 8d6 damage. That is going to slaughter any guards in that radius even if they succeed on the saving throw, it has good odds of just killing them. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with adventurers in a D&D world? Your take? Well, personally, there's two ways about it, right? Step one, have better guards. Step two, have better, better guards, right? So <laughs> what I mean by those two really, really shit examples, <laughs> shit naming conventions, more like, um, is that there's two options. There's two real options. First one, make your guards better, different. Step, uh, second option is that 
you can make your gods special. So what you have is essentially either you have different stages of gods that are more generic, or you have gods tailored towards your players that are basically a force that has been like, those guys oh, seem that. dangerous. We I hate need to that, get rid of them. Why? That second one, I I hate. Because that? that just triggers my DM instinct of don't be a dick. And to make guards specifically tailored to wrangle your players, I hate that. I hate it. But to just give a brief alternative, I do agree with your first option of just have better guards. Option two, though, I would say is just more guards. So that actually can tangent away to a question of, you know, from the world building side, do you have like organized guards or do you just have a local militia? Because for most of recorded history, people who live in a place just dealt with each other. That's just the way that it worked. Like the idea of police is real modern for the most part. So it wouldn't be unreasonable to have like the mob of commoners like chase adventurers out of town. And as I do so often love to say, action economy is a massively important factor. If you have, you know, 20 angry people with rocks and all 20 people throw those rocks at the same person, some number of those are going to hit and they're probably going to hurt. So numbers fucking matter in Dungeons and Dragons. And if you do just want to, you know, make it a little easier on yourself mechanically, have use something like swarm mechanics to just be treated like a mob. And then you just have single unit of mob of angry people to roll on. And that is a much easier way to do that. But that would then allow you to use the numbers advantage of a place. If you have a city of, you know, a thousand people, I guess that would be a town, not a city. But anyway, a thousand people in a place. And, you know, there's some adventurers who are assholes who kill the barkeep. And like, we're just hanging out here, eating the food, drinking the booze. This is our place now. <laughs> like that shouldn't fly. So even if you don't have, you know, dedicated guards again, hey, we liked that guy. How dare you? If you have like a mob of 50 people, if you've got 50 people with rocks, that could be troublesome to individuals. Like even if Rock you have people. like even if you have like an adventurer with, you know, 50 hit points, 50 rocks thrown at him. Not great. Dead. Dead. Maybe it's possible. I mean, like. Not not of the all of them are gonna hit right, but it's that kind of thing is that enough damage added up, multiplied and stuff, and and you you just have dead people, don't you? Probably. I mean, also, also from the mechanic side, like one thing to consider is the idea of okay, you treat this as one unit, and then you just they you roll the attack, or you just have them roll a saving throw and treat it as take you know. 5d6 bludgeoning damage if they save and then or if they fail and then half on a success because again if you have those kinds of numbers some amount are gonna hit so treating it as like a dexterity saving throw would be way easier mechanically and would allow guaranteed damage which is kind of suited to that type of situation there's still the fireball problem but we'll get to that later so 
numbers is the first way to think about actually dealing with troublesome individuals. And we are originally focusing here on the idea of just an, a party. However, as we talked at length about in our previous episode on demographics, there should be more adventurers out there in a higher magic world, especially. So how is it that any kind of order is maintained is to think some amount of people should just be you know, retired adventurers. So then you can have the situation where like maybe, you know, the barkeep maybe is, you know, uh, you know, retired third level bard or, you know, the blacksmith might be, you know, trained with a couple of levels of fighter and to actually have those kinds of, you know, demographics like we talked about to have some idea of, OK, if you have a thousand people, OK, maybe one percent are former adventurers. So, okay, that would then mean you got a thousand people. Well, cool. So you have 10 people that might actually have some amount of power to them. And 10 people is a lot more than most typical, like traveling adventuring parties. So if there was just the idea of a posse of just like the more powerful people just in that place, that works. And that actually would go a long way to explaining how things are kept relatively peaceful. Because if you had, let's just say, like two former adventuring parties who just chose this place to retire for whatever reasons, then you have instantly, you know, eight to ten NPCs to play with. And that could be, you know, maybe these are like two rival adventuring groups back in the day that just were from here and then just retired here. But like maybe they have like a competing business now and that's just what they do. Like or maybe they just have like the two inns in town are owned by them. And that's also a good explanation of, OK, so this inn has some basic basic magical protections. It might have like, you know, good food. It might have arcane lock on the doors. and. To have that kind of thing is great for world building to just think there are going to be people with magic and skills and just abilities out there and to include that in your world building for the sake of just, you know, guards. So uh, going back to the actual focus of guard and not just in terms of a militia. So if you do want to use the typical guard system, it is, as you said, Nathan, really worth thinking about better than just the standard. And again, thinking of it in terms of how many such individuals should there be? So if you have just, let's say, a larger city so that they have the budget to actually have guards be a thing, how would you work such a system nathan hmm i would say that i probably i don't know <laughs> all right so i can give you the actual answer because you have actually done this already like you've had guards on the show before on Riffwake, and it is the kind of thing where you just kind of make it up as you go along and that's fine so the basic way of running DD in general when you need npcs you make the npcs that you need and don't worry about the rest. And yeah, that's fine. That's how you start it. But then if a situation comes up of, oh, I need someone a little bit more capable, that's where things can get interesting to me. 
do you use Handwavium to just say, oh, yeah, they have this, you know, magic user who can, you know, scry to try to find an individual? Do they have, you know, maybe, you know, some guard monks who are able to just run much faster and like they're the ones who patrol so they can chase down someone who tries to run away? Like thinking about how classes and levels and all those kinds of things can interact with each other. And there is not one way to do this. If you want to have a situation of just, okay, like some amount of a city's budget just goes towards flat out regular guards, and that's that. You can do that. Like if you imagine, okay, if I have a city and 1% of a population is just going to be a guard, then if you have, you know, 50,000 people in the city, then you have 500 guards. To keep the peace. And again, with action economy being such a thing, that would mean then that if there is a situation of troublesome adventurers, even just a flat out regular guard, if you send 50 people that are able to throw a spear, so we are upgrading from rocks, that could be troublesome because but numbers do, you really want do matter. 50 people to die. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the level of the adventurers, but also just. This can then become a moral situation like these are guys that are just trying to do their job. So are your adventurers going to go full evil and just slaughter 50 guards? And what kind of impact would that then have on just their reputation? Could you imagine like the kind of word that would spread if in a city of 50,000 people, there were, you know, 50, you know, a hundred witnesses of just some asshole wizard just fireballing all of them to death. That would be, That'd be fucking terrible. hilarious. <laughs> That'd be catastrophic to like the morale of the place. Uh, but it would also be catastrophic for just the reputation of the party. Like, how do you even accept like if imagine if this was a party debate and just like the magic user just decided to do that and the rest of the party wasn't OK with it? How do you reconcile something like that? Mate, but that's equivalent to like doing a massacre, right? It is killing fifty people is a massacre. It's not <laughs> like a massacre. I would count that as one. But anyway, uh, the moral discussion aside, because that is another just that actually that's kind of counted like uh, dealing with problem characters. Just open communication. Just that's not a good thing. <laughs> or doing that not a good thing. Communication is the good thing. Anyway. My point being with guards, though, if you have enough of them, that can make the difference. But also, the typical guard character sheet only has a spear, which is kind of odd that there isn't, you know, any kind of choice in the matter. But if you just say, OK, because of just reasons, I decide that maybe the guards in this place just are all bow users because you never know if someone might try to flee or if you might be like atop city gates and you need you know a better ranged option than just a single spear to be able to throw then okay you can have all your guards trained with you know short bow or long bow even that's fine you can do that that's one of the great things of DD is that as dm whatever you say goes and if you have just all these guards with bows that changes the dynamic because as we've talked about in our sniper episode ranged is a massive advantage 
in D&D, like I'm in any kind of combat situation, really. If you can hit someone before they can hit you, you have a pretty significant advantage there. So having guards with a ranged weapon, great. If you want to go like even lean farther into the more kind of modern version of guard, just let all of them have a hand crossbow instead. And then you can have them, you know, you know, quick draw guard and just kind of lean into the dynamic of it. Like if you want to make an NPC who's basically Dirty Harry with a hand crossbow, you can do that. Like especially if you do give him like a magic weapon version where let's say it's a magic crossbow that can fire six shots before needing to reload. You could have some fun with that. And that's totally fine. But that will lead us to our next topic actually. Using more than the basic guard and of course, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. So the easiest method would be to use the other humanoids that exist just in the books, because a guard is only a one eighth challenge rating. So the weakest, except for, you know, a zero CR like a cat, it is barely above the lowest. But you can use better NPCs. Like in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, actually, they have an NPC uh, sheet for a soldier who has a smidge more hit points at 16, a little better armor at 18 AC. They have multi-attack to get to make two attacks instead of just one. So that alone is a pretty good upgrade. Like, Or you could even go up farther to use the existing stat block of something like a bandit captain, which again, something with multi-attack, more hit points. And on and on and on, you could go up, you know, to knight, veteran, champion, like there's a lot of good NPCs out there. Like, I don't know that I would go higher than champion because that is something with plate armor. So 18 AC, 143 hit points, uh, three attack, multi attack. I mean, yeah, anything higher than that, then why would they still be a guard unless they're a retired adventurer, honestly, which is a route that you can go. And that actually is the next step to have guards be retired adventurers or upcoming adventurers. Either way, honestly, could work out pretty well because, again, we've talked about this briefly in the past, but retirement is not talked about often enough for adventurers. If someone manages to complete their goal as an adventurer, or just to come to a realization that they don't want it anymore, or it's just not working out, they should stop adventuring. It's a dangerous profession. Yeah, there is, you know, risk reward to it, but it's real dangerous. So having people make the choice to stop makes sense in terms of world building. So again, that gives us this great opportunity of where do they go? So if people who were adventurers decide to retire, it would make sense for them to choose to either go back to the place that they're from or to go to some city and settle down there. And that gives you as a DM so much to play with. So imagine if you do have like some powerful magic user who's just from this small village that just goes back when they just like, I, I, I don't want this lifestyle anymore. Like, imagine if you had like an 11th level wizard or something like that, just go back to like some small town. That is interesting to me. Like if they do just like if they're still, you know, a recent adventurer and not like, you know, bored and hermit like 
Imagine if you had just this one place that just like, yeah, there's an 11th level wizard there and just is like the peacekeeper of that area, like kind of like a marshal or sheriff kind of situation, which is this one powerful individual who just keeps the peace here because most individuals living there would not be able to do shit to that guy. So if you did have that, that's interesting. That creates a feel to a place. Like what are like the signs of that person having lived there for, you know, a year or two or, uh, you know, 20? Like, do you then have just this small town that has, you know, ever burning torches to light the streets and the alleyways even? Do you have like the main walkways kept clean as they've you know taken a couple of apprentices and you know they keep the town clean with prestidigitation do that that one individual influence the town like even if they're not the ruler of it just having a single powerful individual can change the dynamic of the place that they are so if you think about just a guard you are vastly underselling the tools that you as a dungeon master have available to shape the feel of a place or again the opposite way someone who is up and coming there are a lot of players who for reasons that are confusing in all honesty way more people than not have their characters just be orphans who like had a shitty life, but somehow are super educated wizards. That's Isn't strange that, like, to the me. trope in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, like it is like the orphan adventure. But like I, I'm, I'm actually not focusing as much on the orphan, but the idea of like they're an urchin is probably the word I should have used. Like they come from nothing, but somehow have like the special bloodline to be a sorcerer. Somehow they've managed to make a pact with a warlock or somehow they've gotten the basic training to become a wizard adventurer somehow. But how? I love thinking about the hows and the whys of a world. Yeah, th that's pretty cool because like the, the, co the, the cool thing is that that's legitimately like a major story point in certain books. Like, for example, this, there's a book series that I really like called The Rift War Saga. And there's just this minor character that appears in a book that later on go goes on to do great things. And it's because somebody took pity on him and like gave him a chance, even though he was an urchin, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And like that is a super common trope. But again, I don't like not having an answer to the whys and the hows. So an excellent opportunity for dungeon masters in world building is to put these two things together. Imagine if you had a wealthy city that needs individuals to keep the peace. So you then have people you have a need for guards. Guards, in theory, will get into occasional fights and level up. And they might decide to become adventurers or they might decide to become bodyguards or swords or any number of things. So it would make sense in a world where you can gain in power like a D&D world that there would be a pretty high turnover rate of guards. So there would be a constant demand for guards and you could use this exact point to fill that need. Imagine a wealthy city has a program. If you serve, you know, five years in the guard then you are entitled to fighter training or rogue training or some such thing. Or you can even then have an alternative option here of magic guards, because in a world oh. of magic, the idea of no guards having any magical ability is absurd. 
I was thinking just so, like using the, the the same thing that a lot of countries in real life do, where it's like, oh, join the guard, mandatory service, and, then they, and yeah, and then they they pay you for you pay for your education later, uh, if you want to exactly. leave, and they, they offer you like full time jobs that pay well, um, if you choose to stay. Exactly. And I mean, I know, like, you've talked to me before, you know, Singapore has that. Uh, I know that Israel has something similar. The US military has a similar thing where they will help pay for education in exchange for service. And the fact that that is not ever really done in D&D that I have seen, at least, is mind boggling to me, because it is such a useful, brilliant way to combine all of these needs in a nice, neat bow. So if you have individuals who have nothing to their name, having their be, you know, five years of service in exchange for education makes sense. And that is a way for these people who come from nothing to get that initial training, to get that step in the door to the Wizard Academy, to get that, you know, training to wear, you know, plate armor and wield a greatsword if that's what you want to do. To have up and comers be guards in your world would just fit so nicely and it would be an interesting reason then for why you know most guards are so consistently the similar kind of character sheet is because guards might often be in your world or even just in this city up and coming adventurers and that is absolutely my preferred style however it can also go farther because we talked about the better guards as well, and we haven't really touched on that super well yet. What would be the ideal guard makeup in a higher magic world? Sorry? What would be the ideal guard makeup for a higher magic world? I would say most likely a guard well-versed in magic too, like something anti-magic, definitely, to like, like cut and stop the thing. Maybe. So anti-magic is getting a little high up there. But one thing that a lot of people underutilize, there is the third level spell, Counterspell, which would be really useful for guards to have. And that actually brings me right back to the idea of just better guards in general. <laughs> to actually have there be a few templates that you as a dungeon master use for guard teams, where it is not just one guy or one type of character sheet used for all guards so having there be individuals to actually make guards people who have a particular set of trained skills sorry to have a party one might even say of guards would be a logical thing in a DD world and that is a route that i highly suggest could be an interesting sort of campaign <laughs> so i'm happy you said that nathan and we'll get to that in just a moment there's two ways that this could be done either number one you as a dungeon master create npcs who are just a party of guards maybe they are former adventurers maybe they are up and coming that is up to you as the dm but to have one party of adventurers in like each major area and they can be like different individuals of different strengths depending on the actual location that gives you as a dm a lot of npcs to make but also a lot of npcs to play with and can help you develop the feel for a place 
Because if you have like one large city that just has one party of, let's say, four, you know, level eight adventure, former adventurers, then any time that there is like adventurer business to be dealt with, they get sent because they are the more powerful individuals. So it would be their responsibility to deal with adventurer related shenanigans. So as a dungeon master, that gives you recurring characters. So it might be a situation where maybe the characters grow up in this city and like maybe these guys have helped them out in the past or maybe like they're the one who caught the rogue doing something nefarious in the past and like locked him up for, you know, a year or so. But, you know, they've gotten out and now are leaving to go adventuring like recurring characters are a valuable thing for dungeon masters so if you just made a team of guards in each place that has guards that is a very valuable resource or option number two what you mentioned a moment ago nathan to have the party that you are playing with be the guards of a city and this is another option that i don't recall ever really seeing, but would potentially be quite a lot of fun to play in, I think. To have there be your party be the ones responsible for keeping the peace, or at least to be a team in such a city, uh, so that you have this, that growth of characters and missions and all of that good stuff. Because let's say that you have a metropolis in your world, a massive, massive city. One large city could easily have every level of individual in it. It could very easily have, you know, a level 20, you know, person in charge or a level 20, you know, archmage who, you know, runs the magic academy or that maybe there is, you know, maybe you're just in a place that has you know a druid circle because it's an elven city that is made in harmony with nature the point being a large city can easily contain all of the components of an entire campaign so even if you have adventurers who level up while maintaining like their position in the guard they can just get sent on escalating missions of difficulty for the entirety of the campaign without ever leaving that starting city. And that is something that could be a lot of fun as well. In summary, whether you do go for more guards or better guards or no guards, it is an important consideration for your world building to figure out how is peace maintained in your D&D world. <sighs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email Riffs rules at gmail.com that's riffs and rules at gmail.com thanks for listening bye remy can, can we um so oh yeah shit so i hadn't I, actually I, I, given my in summary i was just giving you a chance to chime in something but sure oh fuck <laughs> yeah. it was a long time i was giving you a chance to chip in something before the summary but you sorry just I'm, very, I'm tired <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Sorry, what were you about to ask? Oh, no, uh, just, just doesn't matter.
What? Now I was going to ask about the um, if we could do the standardized ending for Breathwake, but the thing is that we can't right now because we are going to change the script. So, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll think about that the next couple. Of, so, it, so is that the way that you're going to want to do it? Like, we'll just open up the Discord for everyone, but have like a patron zone and Lee channel? Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, so that, or we just figure out other patron benefits and just keep it open. Or maybe do like a, I don't know, a monthly chat or something like that for patrons. There's a few different ways we could do that. And that's what we'll Yeah, we, we do need out. to fix the, the bit where I end the show <laughs> before you're done. All right. So, do you want me to just uh, record an in summary and have you just cut and paste? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'll do that now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.